We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 521 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Monday, March 6th, 2023. The D.C. Defenders of the XFL are 3-0. Who says that Washington, D.C. does not have a professional football team that gets off to good starts to seasons? The Defenders, a 34-28 win over the St. Louis Battlehawks at Audi Field on Sunday afternoon. But hey, let's be honest, all right? The game will long be remembered, not for what happened on the field, but for what happened around the field. And I'm not just talking about the beer snake, which is back and which already is one of the great traditions in D.C. sports. No, I am talking about the chant. Did you see or did you hear or did you read about or did you hear about or did you perhaps participate in the chant? Here was the chant at Audi Field on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, now look, (laughs) this is a family-friendly podcast. We do not engage in foul language. We do not engage in potty mouth talk. We do not engage in smut on this podcast. But yeah, (laughs) a massive chant at Audi Field on Sunday afternoon of F. Dan Snyder. F. Dan Snyder. People were chanting in unison. F. Dan Snyder. This is what it has come to, people. F. Dan Snyder chants at a D.C. Defenders game. You know, years ago, Washington fans chanted, we want Dallas. (laughs) Now we chant F. Dan Snyder. Hello and welcome to this Monday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. The Commanders, for now, still have Dan Snyder as co-owner and co-CEO. We all want that to change. We all are hoping and yearning 
for that to change. Uh, we on Friday evening had a report regarding that change and with a new twist. Uh, coming up on the show is a special guest, sports business insider A.J. Perez of Front Office Sports. He has been all over the sale of the Commanders. He's going to give us the very latest, including something that he reported on Friday night that sparked a harsh response from the Commanders themselves. And that something is this, the possibility that the NFL could take over the commanders off the removal of Dan Snyder. You know, years ago, we had MLB running the Nationals before they were bought by the learners. Is it possible that we'll have the NFL running the commanders before they have their next ownership? Because the league is about to dump the dandy. Very good intel and insight from A.J. Perez on the saga that is the sale of the Commanders coming up shortly. But before all of that, uh, next segment, I'll talk actual Commanders football, including an unrestricted free agent signing by the Commanders on Friday and what was perhaps the story of the weekend in all of sports, the jaw-dropping performance by Florida quarterback Anthony Richardson on Saturday at the NFL Scouting Combine at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. Uh, So much (laughs) for Richardson potentially falling to the Commanders' number 16 overall pick in the 2023 NFL Draft. Also on the show, the rest of your Washington, D.C. area sports weekend, as this is the podcast that follows D.C. area sports so that you don't have to. The college basketball regular season is over. March Madness now begins. We'll get you caught up on all of the major conference tournament scheduling for the top teams of the Mid-Atlantic region, as well as discuss games for Maryland, Virginia, and Virginia Tech over the weekend. A gack job of a loss for my number 21 Terrapins. They blew a 15-point second half lead in a 65-64 loss at Penn State on Sunday afternoon as the Terps concluded a regular season in which they went just 1-9 and in Big Ten road games versus a 10-0 in Big Ten home games. Uh, number 13, Virginia ripped Louisville 75-60 at John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville, Virginia on Saturday afternoon and Virginia Tech blasted Florida State 82-60 at Castle Coliseum in Blacksburg, Virginia on Saturday. Two losses for the Wizards over the weekend, despite two comebacks. A Saturday evening, a 116-109 overtime loss to the Toronto Raptors at Capital One Arena. The Wizards overcame a 13-point fourth-quarter deficit, but then lost the overtime 11-4. Sunday night, a 117-111 loss to the NBA-leading Milwaukee Bucks at Capital One Arena. The Wizards overcame a 17-point second-quarter deficit. Actually had a three-point lead in the fourth quarter, but then lost the rest of the game 34-25. And we have the Capitals to discuss. Uh, So they ended up not making any more trades prior to the NHL trade deadline on Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern. And the Caps then had a rather impressive 8-3 win at the San Jose Sharks on Saturday evening. You'll hear some notable comments from Cap Senior Vice President and General Manager Brian McClellan on what exactly the thinking with the Caps is right now. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Mike A on Dan Snyder, on Dan S, uh, and the sale of the Commanders, especially off that bombshell report from ESPN senior writer Don Van Nata Jr. 
Jr. last early Tuesday morning, writes Mike, thanks as always for a terrific podcast. It is a great way to start each day. I agree with your assessment that Dan Snyder's personal financial troubles may well be the main reason that he ultimately has to sell the team. It is particularly distressing to learn how he has been using the team as his own personal piggy bank, transferring money from the team's coffers into his. And that makes me wonder, has anyone determined how much debt the team itself, not Danny, but the team, is carrying? I heard the author of that ESPN piece with some speculation that the commanders could be holding up to $1 billion of debt, though clearly this was speculative. The reason I ask is that it seems like this could really be important for establishing a fair sale price for the team and ensuring the subsequent health of the team. I seem to recall previous reports indicating that Danny did not give bidders access to all of the team's financial records, and if people are bidding on the team without knowledge of the team's debts, it could be potentially crippling to the team in subsequent years. What if someone like Josh Harris was to purchase the team? Apparently, Harris already is scrambling to come up with the necessary funds, and so he may be unable to deal with an extra billion dollars of debt if he learns about the debt too late. This debt should clearly be factored into the sale price, and I'm sure it typically is, but with Dan Snyder's track record, it also seems entirely possible that he would hide this information from bidders so as to secure a higher sale price. If you have any insights into this detail, I'm sure your listeners would greatly appreciate it. Like you, I do feel like it's only a matter of time until Dan sells, but I also hope that the sale is made in such a way that the next owner has a fighting chance for success. Thanks again for your good reporting on this. Take care. Well, thank you for that, Mike. Uh, Here's the deal. The debt would seem to be more Dan Snyder's debt than the debt is the commander's debt. This can all get tricky and complicated, but the speculation about the billion dollars in debt, as best as I can tell, is predicated on that loan that Dan took out to buy out his three now former minority partners, Robert Rothman, Dwight Shore, and Fred Smith, in a transaction that was completed on April 2nd, 2021. The price that Dan paid was a reported $875 million with a reported $450 million debt waiver for which the NFL's finance committee made a special exemption. So that loan In addition to, say, the secret $55 million loan detailed in the report by Don Van Nata Jr. is where we get to thinking that the debt could be approaching a billion dollars. What's tricky and complicated, though, is separating Dan from the team. Dan is the entity in debt in terms of the money that was taken out to buy out Robert Rothman, Dwight Shaw, and Fred Smith. Dan took out that loan to buy out Rothman, Shaw, and Smith. The team itself did not take out that loan. Now, the $55 million loan, the secret loan, uh, appears to be a loan that the team itself took out, but took out without the consent of Rothman, Shaw, and Smith. So that would appear to be a key difference. And remember, That loan that Dan took out to buy out Rothman, Shaw, and Smith may well be the driving force behind Dan selling the commanders. The Washington Post this past November 17th reported that Dan essentially has to sell the commanders because he has to repay that loan by 2028, and he does not have the cash to repay that loan by 2028 without selling at least a portion of the commanders. But the problem is is that it may well be that he can't just sell a portion of the commanders because nobody rich enough to buy a portion of the commanders wants just a portion of the commanders. There is great irony slash poetry to all of this, if you think about it. Uh, It's possible 
that Dan Snyder is selling the commanders because he had to buy out his now former minority partners. But Dan can't just replace those former minority partners with new minority partners because Dan was such a bad partner to those now former minority partners, and thus nobody wants to be Dan's minority partner. And so those now former minority partners who wanted Dan to sell the entire team so as to get a bigger cut than the mere $875 million that the now former minority partners got uh, may ultimately get their wish in Dan selling the entire team, although the now former minority partners will not be reaping financial benefit (laughs) from Dan selling the entire team. Now, I say that nobody wants to be Dan's minority partner. Look, you never know. I mean, there could be some billionaire somewhere willing to be Dan Snyder's minority partner. There could be some Richie Rich in, say, another country, you know, willing to be Dan's minority partner. But as best as we can tell, this process of the sale of the commanders has been about a sale of majority ownership of the team. Email from Jim D on the Commander's Team Facility in Ashburn, Virginia, over conversations on Thursday show episode 519 and Friday show episode 520 about the Commanders with their report card from the NFL Players Association ranking dead last in the NFL. Writes Jim, hope things are well with you as always. Off the news of the report card, I had a question for you. Do you know how long the Commanders have been in Ashburn? I'm going to need more context for how long they've been operating out there slash how long the place has been mismanaged. Uh, Thank you for the email, Jim. Well, the Redskins slash Washington football team slash commanders have had their team facility in Ashburn, Virginia since August 1992. Prior to that, the team facility was in Chantilly, Virginia. Uh, That original team facility was uh, generated by then Skins head coach George Allen in 1971. The team facility in Ashburn has been considered antiquated for years, and that's even with some big-time renovations that took place in 2013. Do you know that the Skins' weight room prior to the renovations in 2013 was so small that players had to take turns working out in the weight room? Like, the team could only have so many guys in the weight room at once. How ridiculous is that? The weight room prior to the renovations was like a broom closet. Uh, You know, a small weight room can be hazardous to your health. If your health has been damaged by someone else's negligence, or if the health of someone who you care about has been damaged by someone else's negligence, always know that the law firm of Paulson and Nace is there for you. If you have a case, you should contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases, offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Call 202-902-7611, and when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace treats its clients with respect and dignity, and once what is best for the firm's clients, Paulson and Nace will treat you, your family, and your situation with the care and expertise that you deserve. Uh, Paulson and Nace is excellent at what it does. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. Heck, this past July, Paulson and Nace won a case for which the United States government must pay nearly $1.8 million. Paulson and Nace took on the U.S. government and won. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. 
202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace take care of your family. Well, before we welcome on sports business insider A.J. Perez for the latest on the sale of the Commanders, a few actual Commanders football notes for you. So ever since former Carolina Panthers head coach Ron Rivera became Washington head coach on New Year's Day 2020, we have had a bit of a trend, right? We have had the undeniable trend of the team hiring and acquiring former Panthers people, right? Former Panthers executives and coaches and staff members and players. Ergo, the word, Commanders. Uh, well, now that Eric Bieniemy is the Commanders assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator of 10 seasons as an offensive assistant for the Kansas City Chiefs, including the last five seasons as the Chiefs offensive coordinator, are we about to see a trend of former members of the Chiefs joining the Commanders. Uh, well, the Commanders on Friday afternoon announced that they had signed unrestricted free agent receiver Marcus Kemp. He is a three-time Chief, uh, and he now is a member of the Commanders. Uh, the 2023 season would be Marcus Kemp's age 28 season. He entered the NFL as an undrafted free agent out of Hawaii with the Chiefs in May 2017. He has had three stints with the Chiefs as well as having spent time with the New York Giants and Miami Dolphins. Uh, Marcus Kemp at the NFL level has been mostly a special teams player, but he actually came up big for the Chiefs in their postseason run to the Super Bowl title for this past season. Kemp in the Chiefs' 23-20 win over the Cincinnati Bengals in the AFC Championship game on January 29th had a fourth quarter, second and eight, 13-yard reception with the game tied at 20. And Kemp in the Chiefs' 38-35 win over the Philadelphia Eagles at State Farm Stadium and Glendale, Arizona in Super Bowl 57 on February 12th had multiple key blocks on receiver Kadarius Tony's fourth quarter 65-yard punt return. That was one of the big plays in that game, the Kadarius Tony 65-yard punt return in the fourth quarter. If you go back and watch that play, uh, Marcus Kemp, number 85, multiple key blocks. Uh, look, Marcus Kemp may not even make the commander's initial 53-man roster for the 2023 season, but he clearly is an Eric Bieniemy guy. And Kemp, at the very least, would seem to be someone who could help the commanders on special teams. He also is a bigger receiver. Uh, he's listed as being 6'4". Speaking of bigger, how about the performance by Florida quarterback Anthony Richardson on Saturday at the NFL Scouting Combine at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis? That Anthony Richardson is an athletic freak was already well known, but he on Saturday put on some show. Saturday was the day on which we had measurements and on-field workouts for quarterbacks. Richardson set records for a quarterback at a combine since at least 2003 with a vertical jump of 40 and a half inches and a broad jump of 10 feet 9 inches. And he ran a 4.43 second 40-yard dash. That is the fourth fastest 40 time for a quarterback at a combine 
since at least 2003. But understand that Richardson ran his 4-4-3-40 off at the combine, measuring at six foot four and a quarter of an inch and 244 pounds. This wasn't some tiny quarterback running a blazing 40. This was a monstrosity of a quarterback running a 4-4-3-40. Former Redskins quarterback Robert Griffin III at the 2012 Combine ran a 4-4-1-40. That is one of the best 40 times for a quarterback at a Combine ever. But Robert did that off at the Combine having weighed in at 223 pounds. Not small, not tiny, but 223 is not the 244 at which Anthony Richardson weighed in. And yet, the guy ran a 4-4-3-40. Now, as we all know, excelling at the Combine guarantees nothing for a player in terms of his play at the NFL level. So it very well could be that Anthony Richardson ends up being a bad NFL quarterback. But here's what we now know with near certainty. There ain't no way that Anthony Richardson will be lasting until the commander's number 16 overall pick in the 2023 NFL draft. That already had seemed unlikely. That now seems almost unthinkable, unless some major character flaws with Richardson emerge between now and the draft. You have this consensus top four quarterbacks in this draft. Uh, The top four, in some order, Richardson, Alabama's Bryce Young, Ohio State's C.J. Stroud, and Kentucky's Will Levis. The guy out of those four who it would seem is most likely to fall to the commanders at 16, if any one of those four does fall to the commanders at 16, is Will Levis. Although I know that a lot of people are really starting to get down on Bryce Young due to his size. Uh, Young at the combine measured at five foot ten and an eighth of an inch and 204 pounds. You know, his height isn't so much a concern as is his weight. Is he sturdy enough to take the pounding uh, that an NFL quarterback inevitably takes? The commanders taking a quarterback in the first round of the draft has felt unlikely. I think that they should take a quarterback in the first round if they really like the guy. I think that they should be open to trading up in the first round of the draft to take a quarterback if they really like the guy. But the notion of them getting Anthony Richardson now seems especially far-fetched. He may not make it out of the top five. And I do wonder if he'll go number one. You know, a lot of people have compared Richardson to Cam Newton. Remember this with Cam, he initially was not viewed as the likely number one pick in the 2011 draft, but then he ended up being taken by the Panthers with the number one pick in the 2011 draft. And of course, at the time, we had Rod Rivera as Panthers head coach, and we had current commander's executive vice president of football slash player personnel, Marty Herney, as the Panthers general manager. But whatever you think about Anthony Richardson as an NFL quarterback prospect, and I do like him more than most, I think that a lot of his flaws are fixable. Now, whether they end up being fixed, who knows, but I don't think this guy is some project who can never be worked into being a good NFL quarterback. I think that he could end up being a great NFL quarterback, but whatever ends up happening with him as an NFL quarterback, what (laughs) an athletic freak Anthony Richardson is. All right. Well, over the last two weeks, uh, we have had a lot of reports regarding the sale of the Commanders. The biggest item from this past weekend came to us on Friday night when Sports Business Insider AJ Perez of Front Office Sports tweeted of the possibility that prospective buyers of the Commanders believe that the NFL could take over the team via the removal of Commanders co-owner and co-CEO Dan Snyder. 
In other words, what may happen before the team is actually sold is Dan is ousted and the NFL takes over temporary ownership of the team. Wrote AJ in his report, quote, if Snyder opts to keep the team or if the sale process drags out much longer, sources told FOS that a removal process will certainly gain momentum. End quote. The commanders on Friday night actually issued a statement ripping this report by A.J. Perez. Quote, front office sports tonight posted a blatantly false report regarding the ongoing process involving a potential commander's transaction. The team will continue its efforts to protect the confidentiality and integrity of its process. Upon the conclusion of the process, the position of the commanders will be announced by the team. Transactions of this nature are highly confidential and few people are involved in the inner workings. As such, anonymously sourced stories purporting to be factual should not be believed, end quote. Well, <laughs> for the latest on the sale of the Commanders, let us welcome back to the Al Galdi podcast, the man whose reporting prompted this uh, latest statement of denial from the Commanders, Sports Business Insider, A.J. Perez of Front Office Sports. You can follow A.J. on Twitter at by A.J. Perez. Hey, A.J., <laughs> how are you? Not bad, not bad. It's been a fun few weeks, eh? Well, fun is one way of describing the last few weeks. Uh, that The commanders on Friday night went so far as to issue a statement denying your report. Do you take that as like a badge of honor? Well, it's a little badge of honor for our, our website. You know, Front Office Sports, we're, we been, we've been around for years, but we kind of ramped up when they hired me and, me and Amanda and a couple others almost three years ago now. Um, and we've been challenging, you know, the incumbents in our position, which is great. Um, but yeah, like literally we, we, we were the third outlet last week to get a statement from the team. Um, you know, and the second have a denial. They denied the, they denied the Washington Post story on Monday about the, the identification that, that Snyder is seeking and also that he is making an effort to somehow not, uh, kind of not, not allow the Mary Jo White report to come out. So that was that, but that was only like one sentence. Like we got like four. It was, uh, that was, uh. That was uh, that, that was an interview Friday night when I was sitting here on my couch with my wife, and I'm like, whoa, look at this. And she's like, wow. What you tweeted on Friday night, that prospective buyers of the commanders believe that the NFL could take over the team via the removal of Dan Snyder. You know, I was thinking about this. Uh, what you tweeted comes off the Washington Post this past Thursday reporting that NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell this past December told Washington, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser that the league supported her efforts to get the federally owned land on which RFK Stadium stands in order for D.C. to have a seat at the table in the commander's attempt to build a new stadium. So that post report, in essence, suggests more league involvement with the commanders. What more can you tell us about this possibility of the NFL taking over ownership of the commanders? Yeah, and that's just kind of that's it's I always couch it with possible potential because you know there's there's a lot of things moving on right now. We don't know everything behind the scenes. So it just it just stands to reason, according to one source, that that if someone's being shut out, and I'm not saying what you know, we, we, we all know which 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 person that is really. Uh, and uh, Jeff Bezos. Uh, and uh, so if, he is, if someone's being shut out and he can't get into the process, at least for at a, at a number that's realistic, you know, if there is a movement afoot and we I reported it starting last like on, on Monday hours like about, you know, the owners being frustrated by the process without knowing what Washington Post ESPN report would, would, would report after. 
Um, and then, you know, that, and then obviously the process of removal that, that, that Mark, Liz and, um, Nikki wrote about, you know, I was hearing the same things. I hinted about it in my story, but they kind of took it further. You know, it just means it, the, the owners are frustrated. They, they don't, unless there's some news and there could be news very, very soon. Who knows? If there's not news, especially before the owners meetings, when they begin, when they begin, you know, that there's going to be, there's going to be a, you know, a potential removal process. It's going to take a long drag out. It's not simple. It's not like, Hey, one vote, 24 votes, you're gone. It's a, it's a process. And I'll be covering it earlier, early this week. Um, at FOS and how it works if it's never happened before. So that's, uh, you know, so if that, that was why, you know, I'm hearing um, that there's been a, you know, kind of a reassessment by some, uh, you know, if, if the league, if the reports by myself and the Washington Post and others are correct, and that there's that, that removal is back on the table, you know, what does it do to the process? It does not give confidence to it. I understand that. Maybe that's why they got, they sent that press release out. But, um, you know, there, it, all signs point that, you know, to still point that he will sell. Well, it, it's still more likely than, 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 than removal. It's the NFL owners don't want to do it. So they're, they've been encouraging this. And this goes back before he announced a sale in November. They've been encouraging Dan to, 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 to sell privately. You mentioned the NFL's annual league meeting, uh, which will take place from March 26th through the 29th in Phoenix, Arizona. That league meeting has been viewed as when we could have the sale of the commanders finalized. Is the sale of the team being finalized at that league meeting still realistic, given that we're now almost a full week into March and there's still no winning bid for the team? We could we could have a winning bidder announced. We 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 could have a number one candidate moving forward by then, but no way. Um, and you know, I I I I ran the numbers. Now the the Broncos took forever from a from a from a, a certain point. They took forever because the family infighting, the legal fight between the family and. You know, obviously, you have an estate um, after after Bolin died that was kind of was kind of up in the air. But once they announced in June of last year that there were that that uh, Rob Walton and, and Penner and his group, you know, secured the the winning bid and was moving forward, put the put the they call it the packet or application into the NFL. That's when the process really starts. The finance committee goes through. That's it. That process took fifty days last time. That took us until July. Um, so June and then pretty much till the end of July. Then it took 14 more days from there before the owners gathered in Mall of America and took the vote. So, uh, so that's, that's 64 days. You, can, can you truncate that for Harris and Bezos? Sure. But Harris has been through that before. He was one of the bidders and, and obviously Bezos is Bezos. But during that time, it's not just them betting. It's also moving the money around, especially a little harder for Harris, a little harder for Pratita, you know, and the, the, the thing is we saw Andrew Brad's tweet. The thing is, like, Fertitas is the highest known bid with a name on it. Washington Post reported five, around 5.5. That is the most we know anybody has bid that has a name attached to it, which is very, uh, that's very significant. Now, um, the hard part from there is anybody can bid for anything. It's like anybody can sue for anything. It's getting that 30% number, which at 5.5 would be around $1.6, $1.5 billion liquid. So, um, so that's where that, you know, that's the next step, moving the money around. So the application goes in, the money starts moving around in advance of a sale, you know, and even if for Jeff Bezos making a one, one, one and a half, one point eight, two billion dollars liquid, it's easier for him. It's going to take some time. I mean, it's not, it's not like he has that sitting around a checking account. The number one issue with the sale of the commanders may well be whether Jeff Bezos will be a factor in the bidding on the team. As you wrote in your report on Friday evening, quote, the will he or won't he intrigue over when or even if 
the Amazon founder will make a move had led to some paralysis among the others interested in acquiring the commanders, end quote. This thing of Dan Snyder having not allowed Jeff to participate in the bidding on the team, do you believe that Dan has done this in order to truly prevent Jeff from buying the team, or that Dan has done this to compel Jeff to make a, say, godfather offer for the team? that essentially only Jeff can make, i.e. the $6 billion offer or $7 billion offer that Dan has been seeking all along? Yeah, it could, that's hard to say. Um, I know it, from the reports from others, I could, you, you, you could say that he's been, you know, I've, I've never said barred. I've said, I've said reluctant. I've said preferably probably not one. But, you know, th- so yeah, there's been always a thought that he, he would have to bid more in then there was a report a few weeks ago about the New York uh, from the New York media uh, from saying that Bezos uh, will have to sell the Washington Post, which I thought was wow, okay. Um, so, which you know, anything's possible, but we're talking about egos of two very rich men, and um, that's just, this is complicating the process. Not on Bezos' end because he owns a newspaper; he doesn't. He's not in the newsroom writing the stories. He's not. He's not telling Liz Mark and, and Nikki what to write. You know, he's just he's the owner of the paper. You know, it's like. <laughs> You know, my CEO doesn't tell me what to write. Um, there's, 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 there's always a, especially what the, you know, a much bigger organization than us. Um, you know, that's not so un- unworkable. But it's been the whole, just you know, the convincing in the background of some in the NFL around the NFL trying to get this, you know, Bezos more involved in the process and to let Dan and, and to make Dan not make but encourage Dan Snyder to let him get more involved in the process. Yeah, that's happening, and, that, and uh, we don't know which owners exactly. We've seen Jerry Jones' name mentioned in some reports um, I'm, as him being one of the power brokers. You know, I would expect Jones and Kraft and a couple of the other owners who are kind of the bigger have the you know the Maras and such. You know, have, have the who have a little more sway than the other owners. You know, they 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 want Bezos. Um, I can't say speak for all of them. We know, you know Kraft went on the record saying that. So you know, having him in the NFL, having in, in their circles, huge. And I think he, you know, and and also they like went in, but they also would like to see Dan Snyder, you know leave on his own volition without having to force him out so yeah it's uh the whole it yeah it's it's hard to tell what bezos is going to do next because we don't know what he's been allowed to do so far that's a great way of putting it uh we're talking with sports business insider aj perez of front office sports about the sale of the commanders uh you've mentioned the prospective buyers jeff bezos philadelphia 76ers and new jersey devils owner josh harris and houston rockets owner tillman Fertitta. You, in a report that came out this past Tuesday, February 28th, wrote that, per a source, there are two finalists to buy the Commanders, Jeff Bezos and Josh Harris. So is the right way to be looking at the sale of the team right now that either Jeff Bezos or Josh Harris will be the next majority owner of the Commanders, or could you still see another entrant emerging? That was in the middle of last week, and it's been, I, as far as I can tell this weekend, that's still, there's there's three options, most likely. Now, Tillman... Yeah, having that 5.5 bid, which is the highest known bid, yeah, that, that, that is interesting. Those I talked to is just like, uh, but, you know, think without any, you know, they're, they're not close to Tillman. They're just, they're just, you know, in the industry. And they, they, they question whether he can come up with that $1.76 billion cash that, that that's required. But, that, but you know, he very well could. You know, those valuations you see on Forbes and Bloomberg aren't always accurate. And there may be, it might be a little, maybe there, there may be some undercount going on there. So you, you 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 can't discount anybody at that 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 point, you know. And the, I think I still think those are the three options we're going to have: either either Josh Harris, Dan Snyder, uh-huh, or Jeff Bezos. 
So those are the three. And now if, if it's Dan Snyder's keeping the team, that's gonna man, it's going to be a, an eventful offseason. Uh, no doubt. Uh, we know a good bit about Jeff Bezos. I mean, we can't say with certainty how he would be as an NFL team owner, but you know, we have a sense of who he is. What do we know about Josh Harris? What kind of an owner of the commanders might he be? I think it would be, I would, I, th- I think he would be, he would be as hands-on as Snyder was, especially early in his career. He lets his people do, you know, the operations like, you know, a good owner, a lot of the good owners do. Um, but yeah, I don't think, you know, a lot of people are giving him, oh, he's a hedge fund guy. He's a guy's a private equity. He's just going to use this as a, as an asset. Well, he can't, I mean, to, 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 but to make this an asset, he'll have to spend a lot more money than the, than the purchase price. So he has to be, he, and I'm sure him and his people know all the numbers, know where the league stands, rep, sorry, know, know where the team stands from its revenue streams, which as I reported in that same story Friday, aren't great. Um, you know, yeah, so they, they're, you know, it's going to take a lot to, you know, and a new stadium, you know, and as I, the, yeah, the one thing that was totally, uh, you know, that was, uh, they can, they can, they can call the whole story into question, but those, but that below point on $200 million being the cap, that's out of the freaking bylaws. So, uh, so that's all that NFL can contribute. And that's basically, and yet, and then over the next several years, that ticket revenue from, that new stadium pays down that loan. So you're looking at $200 million, no assurances of, of public money, you know, and then all these, yeah, you, you, you mentioned Bowser and, and, uh, you know, Bowser talking to Goodell. Um, Bowser's talked to Dan Snyder several months ago. I mean, there, there's been the constant, there's been regular com- communications because until, but until that land tra- transfers to the national park service to the, to DC and DC has a rule that basically right now there's no public financing for public for for stadiums they've they've they built their they've built their stadiums by now you know could that be you know laws rules could be amended um rfk is still a tough hill to climb you can only pretty much only build a stadium there most likely unless they can figure out a way to do the, 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 the um, team headquarters there so that uh you know and also you have to offset that that land the, the community organizers and you know the uh, residents in the area have been uh want want affordable housing I think more more like the DC, you know. The, I'm not sure about the residents, but the, the residents don't want anything there because they be, uh, they don't want the, all the, the crowds and stuff. But there's going to be there's going to be a need because there's some there's been calls for, for low income housing or affordable housing, sorry, affordable housing in that area um, as part of the, as part of you know the land transfer. So there's needs to there's someone. Are you going to offset that? Are you going to be able to placate those concerns? along with building the stadium, which is going to be pretty much almost entirely, if not all, financed by the next owner with some help from the NFL. You brought up the revenue streams item from your report on Friday evening. You, in that report, outlined multiple reasons for why the sale of the commanders isn't moving as quickly as we would all like. One of the reasons is that, quote, the financials for the commanders that have been reviewed by those interested in acquiring the team paint a fairly bleak picture and quote, do prospective buyers view these bad financials as not being fixable? Yeah, it's it's not. They're, it's not. These aren't easy issues. A lot of them are going to be solved overnight with the new owner. It doesn't really matter who the next new owner is. I think there's going to be a couple of exceptions out there um, who aren't even in the process. I'm saying, uh, but but the next owner is going to have so much goodwill. It's going to be a honeymoon period. Things are going to trend up if they can build build them up momentum. And obviously, March 15th, new league year. If, you know, they, they brought in Eric Bietemi, you know, I think, you know, Jason Wright, Martin Mayhew, um, you know, Coach Rivera, I think they're, it's a solid cast. It's a great, I think they could do good things, great things. I think they're, you know, they're, they are a playoff, they have playoff caliber talent. 
if Snake in with it with with, with Eric the enemy and maybe a couple either you know either retaining a couple players or especially going out in the market right now and come ten days from now and landing a couple more, this team could trend up quickly. And you always want to trend up going you know as you're looking for a new stadium and everything else. You want to show you know you're going to trend up automatically because you're not going to have someone you know not going to have someone with Dan Snyder's um, baggage. Uh, but you're going to see it's going to but you're going to. You can turn that around, but that's got to be. But 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 you have to be realistic. A lot of these things take time. It took time from for the team to go from top three uh, in tickets to where they are now. It took. Well, it wasn't overnight. It took a, took 20, 20, 20, 21, 22 years yeah. for that to happen. And then they're, you know, then it's you know, right after Dan bought it, you know, the stadium size, you know, eventually fell by twenty thousand because they started. You know, eventually it was slow. So well, well, will the will the revenues return at the same rate they decline? Well, very, you know, it could take a lot less time, but it's going to take, you know, a new, will, will it take a new name? Will it take a new stadium? Will it take, you know, but the biggest thing is going to fix it is winning on the field and not having to think about Dan Snyder and what he could and what, uh, what he could do next um, in this, uh, you know, as ownership of the team. One of the really intriguing aspects of this entire saga is how we've gone from the other NFL owners having stood by Dan Snyder and protected Dan to now apparently wanting him out. That Dan essentially is no longer a made guy in the uh, mafia that is NFL owners. Uh, This is a little tricky because I'm asking you to comment on someone else's reporting, but the bombshell report from ESPN senior writer Don Bandata Jr. that came out this past early Tuesday morning, the crux of that report was a 61-page arbitration petition listing the complaints of Dan's now former minority partners. Uh, this petition was filed confidentially with the NFL on June 26, 2020 and was obtained by ESPN. Obviously, someone leaked the petition to ESPN. Do you think that it's a stretch to say that the NFL leaked the petition to ESPN? Because if that did happen, then that would be another sign that the NFL is done with Dan. I mean, it could. I mean, we don't know where the where, where the Gruden emails came from. We don't. We still don't know. You know, you know, Gruden, John Gruden thinks the NFL did it. That's why he's suing them. And that case is going to be going on for a while. It's an appeals court in Nevada. Um, you know, this is the fact that they leaked it all is shocking to me. This is bigger to, to the legal department of the NFL. This is bigger than this is, I guess, I actually couch this. Sources think that this is a bigger deal to the legal department at the NFL office than the Gruden emails because this stuff never comes out. We never saw Kaepernick's settlement, uh, his grievance. We, that was an arbitration. We never saw anything. I mean, the Ezekiel Elliott, we don't, you know, the NFL successfully moves these cases into arbitration. And for the main reason, it's not that, you know, that, well, there's two reasons. Goodell gets to control the process and also their secret. And the fact that they came out and that Goodell may have overlooked this, this whole $55 million line of credit component by a lot, by, by Snyder signing it without the approval of the board, um, slash co-owners, you know, that's, that's pretty major. And, uh, and, you know, they're, yeah, that, I mean, Goodell's not a lawyer either. So that's, he has a, some great lawyers in the NFL front office, which I'm sure weighed in. Um, I don't know if it's going to cause him any real issues. I'm not going to say there's any criminality on anybody's part. It's, it's too too soon to, to, to handicap that stuff. We're not going to know until there's indictments unsealed. The IRS is very, the IRS involvement is very intriguing um, as well. Um, having covered, uh, you know, the IRS, an IRS agent broke up, broke up in Balco. You got to remember that, you know, 
Yeah, that's uh, having the IRS involved in these things can 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 lead to some very very uh, um, interesting um, fact finding. So we're not going to know until where that goes, and it could take a while. You know, some sometimes you know, these are wrapped up fairly quickly. Sometimes they go on for a couple years. Yeah. So what you just said is the reason to think that the NFL would not have leaked this arbitration petition because the report does not make the NFL look good, especially Roger Goodell. But as you know, I mean, somebody leaked this arbitration petition, the likes of which like never comes out. And I think that that's kind of an underplayed thing from this ESPN report. Where'd that leak come from? Who put that out there? Because that obviously... Oh, man, this is so much palace intrigue between the e- <laughs> emails and everything. And yeah. Everything. I mean, it's just this whole thing, you know, Snyder using that, that Indian media lawsuit, the lawsuit against the, you know, the company, to petition the federal court system here. And that's how he got the call logs. That were in that, that the shadow investigation that that Congress put out there. Call logs with the person in the Washington Post. We don't even know how everything they are because they they that that slide show was redacted, and that was going on during Beth Wilkinson's investigation. It's just it's it's pretty it's pretty uh, it's interesting. I mean, it's always interesting, uh, and you know, they're figuring out who linked what is you know it's 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 kind of a parlor game at this point, but it is something to think about. It's like you know, they're we don't you know, I don't know I I don't even. So I haven't even I haven't even contemplated who that leak was. I was just like applauding Don for getting that because that is freaking awesome because I have never seen anything like that before. No doubt. Sports Business Insider AJ Perez of Front Office Sports. Great reporting on the sale of the commanders. AJ, thanks a lot for your time and continued success. <laughs> thanks, man. All right. Hope that you enjoyed my conversation with AJ Perez. Great intel on the sale of the commanders. If you have like 20 seconds, please consider rating and reviewing the podcast. Uh, You on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you on Apple Podcasts can write a review saying that you like the podcast. The review does not have to be long. It can be just a sentence or two, uh, but the ratings and the reviews help out the podcast a lot. Uh, So thank you very much for doing them. Hey, I want to tell you about my favorite new thing, my Shady Rays sunglasses. Uh, They look good and they feel good. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product that's affordable and durable with clear optics for whatever you're doing outside. And Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements, meaning that if you lose or break your pair of sunglasses, even on day one, Shady Rays will send you a brand new pair of sunglasses, no questions asked. Wear your Shady Rays with confidence because Shady Rays has your back long after your purchase. Here's a special offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Go to ShadyRays.com and use the code ALGALDI for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Yeah, 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. If you don't love them, you can exchange them for sunglasses that you do love, or you can return your sunglasses for a full refund within 30 days. There is no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Shady Rays always has your back. Go to ShadyRays.com and use the code ALGALDI for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. If you've been thinking about getting new sunglasses, now is the time, and Shady Rays is the way. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars 
by over 200,000 people. That's ShadyRays.com and use the code ALGALDI for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Also, Shady Rays has donated over 20 million meals to fight hunger with Feeding America. Shady Rays, look good and feel good. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let us talk college basketball. This week is the first full week of March, meaning that March Madness has arrived. Uh, this week is the week in which we have a conference a tournaments galore, although some did start last week. But here's what we have in terms of notable teams in the mid-Atlantic region. Uh, Maryland is the number six seed in the Big Ten tournament at the United Center in Chicago. The Terrapins have a bye into the second round. They will play on Thursday night at about nine against the winner of number 11 seed in Nebraska. Alaska versus number 14 seeded Minnesota Wednesday night at about nine. Georgetown is the bottom seed, <laughs> the number 11 seed in the Big East tournament at Madison Square Garden in New York City. will face number six seeded Villanova Wednesday night at eight. We have the ACC tournament at a familiar site, Greensboro Coliseum in Greensboro, North Carolina. Virginia is the number two seed, has a bye into the quarterfinals. The Cavaliers will play on Thursday night at seven. Virginia Tech is the number 11 seed, will play number 14 seeded Notre Dame Tuesday night at seven. Also, we have the A-10 tournament at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York. VCU is the number one seed. The Rams have a bye into the quarters. VCU won't play until Thursday morning at 11.30. George Mason is the number five seed. The Patriots have a first round bye. They will play a second round game on Wednesday afternoon at two. You know, Mason is rolling six consecutive A-10 wins for the first time in school history. Went 11-7 and in the A-10 in the regular season, including a 62-60 win at Richmond on Saturday afternoon. Uh, Howard, what a season for the Bison. Howard won its first outright regular season conference title since the 1991-1992 season. Howard is the number one seed in the MEAC tournament at the Norfolk Scope in Norfolk, Virginia. will face number eight seeded South Carolina State Wednesday evening at six. Uh, more on number 21, Maryland. Another road loss for the Terps. Uh, they concluded a regular season in which they went 20 and 11 overall and 11 and 9 in the Big Ten with a 65 64 loss at Penn State 
on Sunday afternoon. Look, Maryland already has done a lot more this season than any reasonable Terps fan could have hoped for. But the Terps in their 2022-2023 regular season had this incredible discrepancy between performance on the road versus performance at home. The Terps in this now concluded regular season went just 1-9 and nine in Big Ten road games versus 10-0 and oh in Big Ten home games. And this loss for Maryland at Penn State on Saturday afternoon was painful. A potential game-sealing defensive rebound somehow avoided the grasp of Jameer Young and Hakeem Hart as Hart inadvertently slapped the ball out of the grasp of Young, and the ball went right to Penn State's Cameron Winner, who connected on a game-winning putback bucket in the paint from the right of the rim with 0.5 seconds left in regulation. But it wasn't just that. The Terps blew a 15-point second-half lead, and it wasn't just that. The Terps led by 11 points at 59-48 with less than five minutes left in the second half, but that allowed Penn State to end the game on a 17-5 run. Look, this was a choke job by the Terps, okay? I don't like saying that, but that's the truth. This was a choke job by the Terps. Now, personally, as a Maryland fan, as someone who went to Maryland, uh, I don't get that worked up about the Big Ten tournament for a team in Maryland that already is safely in the NCAA tournament. This season at this point is all about the NCAA tournament. The Big Ten tournament does not mean much, but this was a bad loss for the Terps at Penn State on Sunday afternoon. And again, these road woes for the Terps, very strange, very odd. Uh, The Terps defense on Sunday afternoon, great in the first half, terrible in the second half. Uh, The Terps in the first half held Penn State to just 22 points, just 4 of 11 on threes, just 5 of 14 on twos, and 0 of 2 on free throws. Uh, The Terps in the second half allowed Penn State to score 43 points and to go 6-16 on threes and 11-13 on twos. And Penn State in the second half went 3-3 on free throws. Uh, Maryland did get a big game from Jameer Young. He, in 36 minutes as a starter, went 3-6 on threes, 6-11 on twos, and 5-6 on free throws. He finished with 26 points and 8 rebounds. But three other Terp starters, Hakeem Hart, Don Carey, and Dante Scott, they went a combined 2 of 12 on threes, and Hart committed five of the Terps' 13 turnovers. Uh, Also, Terps head coach Kevin Willard played Julian Reese for just 21 minutes as a starter due to Penn State going with a small ball lineup. Uh, Reese, four of seven from the field, all twos, four of four on free throws. He finished with 12 points, five rebounds, including two offensive boards, uh, two steals, and two assists versus two turnovers. Uh, Number 13, Virginia concluded a regular season in which the Cavaliers went 23-6 overall and 15-5 in the ACC with a 75-60 win over Louisville at John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville, Virginia on Saturday afternoon. The Cavs also concluded a 10-0 regular season in ACC home games for the first time since the conference expanded to 20 league games beginning with the 2019-2020 season. Uh, This win was exactly 
what you wanted from the Cavs against a bad team in Louisville. Louisville concluded a 2-18 regular season in the ACC. The Cavs never trailed in the game. Their defense was very good, especially in the first half. The Cavs for the game held Louisville to just 60 points and just 4 of 15 on threes and forced two shot clock violations. The Cavs in the first half held Louisville to just 20 points, just 1 of 7 on threes and just 5 of 11 on twos. And the Wahoos had a nice game offensively. Uh, The offense has been the concern with the Hoos, but the Hoos on Saturday afternoon went, uh, yeah, just 6 of 18 on threes, but also 23 of 32 on twos and had 25 assists versus just seven turnovers. So the Hoos went 11 of 14 on free throws. Here was UVA head coach Tony Bennett during his postgame press conference on Saturday afternoon on the Hoos inconsistent offense having a good game in this win over Louisville. Yeah, I mean, I think we ran good offense. It's not like we lit it up from three, but, you know, we're moving harder, got some good looks and um, made some free throws. And so, yeah, you just you want to try to play good, tough ball. I thought we got a lift from everyone for the most part. And, um, you know, I just it was about trying to get this game. And now, OK, now it turns to ACC conference tournament play and being as ready as you can. But I think the last two games were a step in the right direction. And I think it started at North Carolina, um, the effort that was given. The result wasn't there, but I thought we we gave the right kind of tenacity or played with the right kind of tenacity um, and then just made some adjustments, but touched on what needed to be touched on, and we can't let go of that. No, you can't. It was senior day in Charlottesville. Uh, multiple players who were honored did well. Armand Franklin, he in 28 minutes, 39 seconds as a starter, went 2 of 5 on threes, 3 of 3 on twos, and 4 of 4 on free throws. He finished with 16 points, 5 assists versus 2 turnovers and 4 rebounds. Uh, Jaden Gardner, 30 minutes, 20 seconds as a starter. He went 8 of 12 from the field. All twos had 16 points and 4 rebounds. Also a junior, Reese Beekman, 35 minutes, 21 seconds as a starter. 11 assists versus no turnovers. He also had two steals and a game-best plus-minus rating of plus 15. He went 1-1 on threes, 1-3 on twos, scored five points. And Virginia Tech, the Hokies concluded a regular season in which they went 18-13 and overall and 8-12 and in the ACC with an 82-60 blowout of Florida State at Castle Coliseum in Blacksburg, Virginia on Saturday. You know, each team came into the game 7-12 and in the ACC, but the Hokies ended up winning the game by 22 points. Tech never trailed in the game, began the game on a 14-0 run, did see their lead get cut to four in the second half at 41-37, but Tech then went on a 41-17 run for a 28-point lead at 82-54 late in the second half. This was a complete rout that was authored by the Hokies. They shot very well from the field, 16-34 on threes, 13-22 on twos. Sean Padula, 31 minutes as a starter. He went 6-8 of eight on threes, 2-4 of four on twos, and 3-3 three of three on free throws. He finished with 25 points, although he did have just uh, one assist versus four turnovers. Uh, it was senior day in Blacksburg. The Hokies honored seniors Hunter Couture and Justin Mutz. Couture had a big game, 33 minutes as a starter, four of nine on threes, two of two on free throws. He finished with 14 points and four assists 
versus one turnover. Uh, Grant Basile, 28 minutes as a starter, two of four on threes, three of five on twos, one of two on free throws. He finished with 13 points, eight rebounds, and three assists versus one turnover. I tell you, this performance by the Hokies is another reason to think uh, what we thought about it this Hokies team. This isn't a bad team, uh, despite the bad record. The Hokies, for so much of the season, have like done just enough to lose games, but the team hasn't had many truly bad losses. And when this team is on, it can be quite good. And we saw that on Saturday. Uh, but still, Virginia Tech making the NCAA tournament uh, would require a super deep run in the ACC tournament, probably winning the tournament, which, oh, by the way, the Hokies did do last year. Uh, and also a heartbreaker for American. Uh, the number seven seeded Eagles overcame a 21 point second half deficit, uh, but lost at number six seeded Lafayette, 84 76 in double overtime on Sunday in the semis of the Patriot League tournament. Well, not a good weekend uh, for our Wizards. Two losses. Saturday evening, a 116-109 overtime loss to the Toronto Raptors at Capital One Arena. The Wizards overcame a 13-point fourth-quarter deficit, but they then lost the overtime 11-4. The Wizards in the overtime went just 1-9 of from the field, 0-2 of on threes, and just 1-7 of on twos. The Wizards in the game committed a whopping 24 turnovers, including eight turnovers in a first quarter that the Wizards actually won. 30-26. Uh, the Wizards in the game, 14 of 24 on threes, but just a 24 of 51 on twos. And you combine that with the 24 turnovers and the Wizards ended up losing that game. And then on Sunday night, a 117-111 loss to the NBA-leading Milwaukee Bucks at Capital One Arena. Uh, the Wizards overcame a 17-point second quarter deficit, actually had a three-point lead in the fourth quarter at 86-83, but they then lost the rest of the game, 34-25. Uh, the Wizards in the game did do a lot of things well. The Wizards outscored the Bucks in the paint, 58-28. Uh, the Wizards had 20 offensive rebounds to the Bucks' eight, and thus a 20 second chance points to the Bucks' eight. Uh, the Wizards totaled just nine turnovers, but the big difference in the game, three-point shooting. The Wizards went just eight of 31 on threes. The Bucks went 22 of 49 on threes, and the Wizards uh, got Greek freaked. Uh, the Wizards allowed Giannis Adetokounmpo to have a triple-double. He, in 36 minutes, 13 seconds as a starter, went 6-12 from the field, all twos. 11-15 uh, on free throws. He finished with 23 points, 13 assists versus three turnovers, 10 rebounds, three blocks, and a game-best plus-minus rating of plus 15. So the Wizards now are 30-34. and 34. They are 10th in the Eastern Conference, a game-and-a-half behind the Raptors for ninth. Uh, the Wizards over the weekend remained without Monte Morris due to low back soreness. Uh, they on Sunday night also were without Kyle Kuzma due to right knee soreness. Uh, Kuzma on Friday evening, 41 minutes, 31 seconds as a starter, went just three of seven on twos and committed five turnovers, but he also went two of five on threes, four of four on free throws, finished with 16 points and six rebounds. The Bucks on Sunday night, by the way, were without Chris Middleton due to right knee injury management. Uh, very mixed weekend for Bradley Beal. He, in the overtime loss to the Raptors on Saturday evening, did not come through in the clutch. Uh, Beal, in the overtime, went scoreless as uh, he went 0 of 4 from the field, 0 of 1 on threes and 0 of 3 on twos. Also, Beal missed a 13 foot driving floater in the final second of regulation 
with the game tied at 105. Uh, Beal for the game, 41 minutes, 53 seconds as a starter. He went just 5 of 19 on twos and committed five turnovers. You know, the Raptors are a solid defensive team. They are handsy. Uh, they play Beal tough, and he on Saturday evening had a tough time, although he did go two or three on threes, five or six on free throws, and he did finish with 21 points, 10 assists, four rebounds, including two offensive boards, two blocks, and a team-best tying plus-minus rating of plus four. So he did do some good things. And then Beal in the loss to the Bucks on Sunday night, 35 minutes, one second as a starter, 0 of 5 on threes, but he also went 15 to 27 on twos, 3 of 3 on free throws, and he finished with 33 points, nine rebounds, and two assists versus two turnovers. Uh, good stuff from Chris Dabbs Porzingis over the weekend. He in the overtime loss to the Raptors on Saturday evening, 39 minutes, 51 seconds as a starter, 2 of 2 on threes, 7 of 12 on twos, 2 of 3 on free throws. He finished with 22 points, 11 rebounds, 4 assists versus three turnovers, two blocks, two steals, and a team best time plus minus rating of plus four. And Porzingis in the loss to the Bucks on Sunday night, 36 minutes, 16 seconds as a starter. He did not shoot well. Uh, he went just one of eight on threes and just 10 of 21 on twos. He also went one of one on free throws. He finished with 24 points, 13 rebounds, including five offensive boards, five assists versus one turnover, two blocks, and a team best plus minus rating of plus 11. Uh, also on Sunday night, Denny Avdia, nice game for him. You know, you want to see Denny be more consistent, but when he has good games, they are quite good. Uh, Denny in 31 minutes, 7 seconds off the bench, 2 of 4 on threes, 3 of 6 on twos, 5 of 5 on free throws. He finished with 17 points, 6 rebounds, 3 steals, and 2 assists versus two turnovers. And also on Saturday evening, DeLon Wright, a terrific game for him. 39 minutes, 44 seconds as a starter. Four of six on threes, two of four on twos, two of two on free throws. He finished with 18 points, seven assists versus three turnovers, six steals, and six rebounds, including two offensive boards. Uh, additionally, we on Sunday had some interesting Wizards news. Uh, we on Sunday afternoon had multiple reports that the Wizards are planning on signing 27-year-old 6'8 Australian Xavier Cooks out of the National Basketball League of Australia to a deal through the 2023-2024 season. Uh, Xavier Cooks had a very good college career at Winthrop. Uh, he was the NBL Finals MVP in the 2021-2022 season and was the NBL's MVP for the 2022-2023 season. So we'll see what Xavier Cooks can do for the Wizards. Uh, next up for the Wiz at the Detroit Pistons, who are tied with the Houston Rockets for the worst record in the NBA, Tuesday night at 7. Well, the Capitals have a game late night on Monday night. The Caps are at the Los Angeles Kings Monday night at 10.30 to conclude a stretch of four consecutive road games, the last three of which are out west. And those games out west so far are going quite well. Uh, last Wednesday night, a 3-2 overtime win at the Anaheim Ducks. And this past Saturday evening, an 8-3 win at the San Jose Sharks. Now, neither Anaheim nor San Jose is a good team, but uh, the Caps, despite 
their sell-off uh, do remain in contention for the Stanley Cup playoffs. So the Caps now are 31-27-6. They are one of four teams in the Eastern Conference, each with 68 points, three points behind the Pittsburgh Penguins for the Eastern Conference's second wildcard spot. Uh, more on the Caps' blowout win at the Sharks in moments, but the 2023 NHL trade deadline has come and gone. Uh, was on Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern, and the Caps ended up not making any more trades. Uh, the Caps did not trade say, winger Connor Sheary or defenseman Trevor Van Riemsdyk, uh, each of whom is set to be an unrestricted free agent this offseason. So your final tally for the Caps in their sell-off, four trades. Uh, the Caps on February 23rd traded defenseman Dimitri Orloff and winger Garnett Hathaway to the Boston Bruins for a first-round pick in the 2023 NHL draft, a second-round pick in the 2025 NHL draft, a third-round pick in the 2024 NHL draft, and forward Craig Smith. Uh, all of this as part of a three-team trade with the Minnesota Wild. The Caps on February 28th traded defenseman Eric Gustafson and the Bruins' first-round pick in the 2023 NHL Draft to the Toronto Maple Leafs for defenseman Rasmus Sandin. Uh, the Caps on February 28th traded winger Marcus Johansson to the Minnesota Wild for a third-round pick in the 2024 NHL draft and the Caps on March 1st traded center Lars Eller to the Colorado Avalanche for a second round pick in the 2025 NHL draft. Also within the last few weeks was the Caps signing multiple players to contract extensions. The Caps on February 3rd announced the re-signing of wingers last center Dylan Strom to a five-year $25 million contract extension. The Caps on February 4th announced the re-signing of winger Sonny Milano to a three-year $5.7 million dollar contract extension. The Caps on February 28th announced the re-signing of defenseman Nick Jensen to a three-year $12.15 million contract extension. And the Caps on March 3rd announced the re-signing of winger Nicholas Obey Kubel, the man whose nickname is one of the great nicknames in all of the NHL, NAC. N-A-K, Nicholas Obey Kubel, NAC. NAC will be back. Uh, a one-year, $1.225 million contract extension. As we have been talking about on the podcast, the Caps have been in the midst of a reset, a retool, not a rebuild. Do not say rebuild. Uh, the Caps are not blowing the whole thing up. I don't think that they necessarily have to blow the whole thing up, especially in an NHL in which lower seeds do well in Stanley Cup playoffs all of the time. This is not the NBA in which you basically have no chance at an NBA title if you're not a top three seed in your conference. Uh, Cap Senior Vice President and General Manager Brian McClellan did a virtual press conference late Friday afternoon. This was McClellan on what the Caps tried to accomplish with their recent trades. And then you'll hear a follow-up exchange with Tom Galitti of NHL.com. You know, I think we had to make some tough decisions, you know, probably a little sooner than we would have liked to make them, but um, we had to make them when we made them. You know, we had some good guys, some good players that, you know, we didn't really want to part with, but we ended up parting with because of, you know, it was, I don't know that we were showing the consistency that we needed to show to, you know, become a team that we're going to go for it. You know, I, so I think we had to straddle a line of, of, you know, what's best for the future, what's best for our team in the future, and, you know, try and still add players and stay competitive. Was this not necessarily a rebuild, but kind of just hoping to try to restock and, and get back right back in it next year? 
Yeah, I think we want to be competitive next year. I still think we want to be competitive this year. I, I still think we, you know, we got a pretty good team. Um, you know, we're going through some injuries. Our back end is, you know, decimated a little bit. You know, we've tried to add a, a good young defenseman in Sandine. Um, so we'll see where we are when we come out of it here. All right, so Brian McClellan right there, echoing what I've been saying about what the Cavs are doing. A reset, a retool, not a rebuild. Uh, Every player who the Cavs traded was a veteran on an expiring contract. Uh, The Cavs, with their four trades, did not trade away any, like, foundational pieces. And the Cavs, with their four trades, acquired a number of draft picks, uh, giving the Cavs some nice draft capital with which to work in potential trades. Uh, The most notable player who the Caps acquired from their four trades is defenseman Rasmus Sandin. Uh, Rasmus Sandin, the Maple Leafs took him with the number 29 pick in the 2018 NHL draft. This season is just his age 22 season. He is an intriguing player. Here was Brian McClellan late Friday afternoon on Sandin. Yeah, I mean, we like his age. We like his game. I mean, he's a puck-moving, skilled defenseman. He's a competitive guy. Um, you know, real good five-on-five player so far. Um, can add a little bit to the power play. Um, and there's upside here. You know, I think he's played mostly third pair in Toronto. I mean, he's going to get an opportunity with us to play higher in the lineup. And uh, I think he's excited about it, and I think he can take advantage of it. And there's only room to grow for him. I mean, he's 20, 22, 23 years old, and he's only going to get better going forward. So we see, you know, hopefully a guy that we can build around moving forward, a young, you know, top four defenseman that uh, will play here a long time, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Well, Rasmus Sandin is off to a nice start as a cap. Uh, so we had this 8-3 win at the Sharks on Saturday evening. This was an odd blowout win in that the Caps at the end of the first period trailed 2 nothing. Uh, but they then won the second period 4 nothing, and then won the third period 4-1. Uh, also, the Caps won by this score of 8-3, despite uh, totaling just 30 shots on goal to the Sharks' 41. But the Caps, for natural stat trick, had 14 5-on-5 high-danger shot attempts to the Sharks' 9. A big storyline with this game was the depleted nature of the Caps' In terms of defensemen, defenseman John Carlson remains out. Uh, he has not played in a game since being struck on the side of the head slash face by a slap shot by Jets defenseman Brendan Dillon. Uh, this in a 4-1 Caps win over the Winnipeg Jets at Capital One Arena on December 23rd. And then in the Caps overtime win at the Ducks this past Wednesday night, two other Caps defensemen got hurt. Nick Jensen suffered an upper body injury and Martin Farabari suffered a lower body injury. And so with defenseman John Carlson, Nick Jensen, and Martin Farabari all out due to injury, and remember with defenseman Dmitry Orloff and Eric Gustafson having been traded, the Caps in this game at the Sharks had three defensemen making their regular season Caps debuts. Rasmus Sandin, Gabriel Carlson, and Vincent Iorio. Yes, Gabriel Carlson and Vincent Iorio. Who? What? Yeah. Uh, The Caps on Friday afternoon recalled Gabriel Carlson and Vincent Iorio from AHL affiliate Hershey. And yet, these three defensemen on Saturday evening combined for six assists. Uh, Rasmus Sandin had three assists. He became the first defenseman in Caps history to have at least three assists in his Caps regular season debut. Gabriel Carlson had two assists, and Vincent Iorio had a third period primary assist. 
Uh, here was Caps head coach Peter Laviolette during his post-game session with reporters on Saturday night on Sandine, Carlson, and Iorio all coming through in their Caps regular season debuts. You know, having those three guys jump into the lineup and then contribute offensively um, again after the first period, it wasn't. It wasn't that we weren't good defensively; we just weren't good. We just too slow, not fast enough. And um, but again, we got going, and from there, I thought that the the guys jumping in played really well. Yes, they did. A number of other Caps had big games in this 8-3 win at the Sharks on Saturday evening. Winger Alex Ovechkin, two third-period even-strength goals and a third-period primary assist. Winger Craig Smith in just his fourth game for the Caps, two second-period even-strength goals. Uh, Winger Nicholas Obey-Kubel, knack. Uh, off his one-year contract extension, a second-period even-strength goal, and a second-period secondary assist. He also committed a uh, second-period slashing minor. Uh, Winger TJ Oshie remains hot. Uh, He had a third-period power play goal. Oshie now, over his last eight games, five goals and three assists. And speaking of the Caps' last eight games, the power play has gotten going. The Caps on Saturday evening, one of three on the power play. Caps now seven of 23 on the power play over the team's last eight games. Uh, Darcy Kemper was the Caps' starting goaltender. Uh, He stopped 38 of the 41 shots on goal that he faced. Caps went 3 of 4 on the penalty kill. This is an odd time to be a fan of the Caps right now. Their sell-off clearly communicated that they are not the win-now team that they had been for years, but the Caps are still in playoff contention, and they now have won three of their last four games. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday show, episode 522. We'll have plenty for you on the commanders. Also, we'll talk capitals. As I just mentioned last segment, the Caps are at the Los Angeles Kings Monday night at 1030. Have a great rest of your Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.